0: And now, coming toward the finish, the first woman.
1: On the right, Rosie Ruiz from New York. A shocker. Nobody has noticed her at the checkpoints. Nobody has thought about her when the race has begun. A total stranger to the expert, Rosie Ruiz. It was a fantastic race. I really entered it to finish. I didn't enter to place myself for second or third or anything else. Uh, it is my second marathon.
2: And, um, what, was, what was the
0: time in your first ever marathon and where was it?
2: It was 2 hours and 56 minutes and 33 seconds in New York last year. In the New York City Marathon yes. last October? Yes. And so you improved from two, 2 hours and 56 minutes to 2 hours and 31 minutes? Like I said, I've trained myself. Um, I enjoy running very much. I enjoy long distance running. Rosie, what kind of um, what kind of training have you been doing? You say 65 to 70 miles a week. Have you been doing
1: a lot of heavy intervals? um someone else asked me that i'm not sure what intervals are (laughs) what are they
0: hello everyone welcome to another edition of let's run.com's track talk our weekly podcast this is let's run.com co-founder robert johnson welcoming you to the show We've got plenty to talk about this week last week in terms of track action not a whole lot went on of course coco konstanz kosterhoffen did run the incredible 1426 but that doesn't mean there's not plenty to talk about jacob inkebrickson got a new car the Kenyon trials have been pushed back. The New York City marathon field has come out. And folks, yes, letsrun.com, thanks to a message board post, has broken the news to the world that the most infamous marathon cheat or most famous, John, is it infamous or famous marathon cheat of all time, Rosie Ruiz, has died at age 66.
2: Yeah, you could use either. Robert, you say there's plenty to talk about. We will be talking about a bunch of stuff. We also have an interview with Monty Harpole, who is – the general manager of the Midland Rockhounds minor league baseball team and also the father of U.S. 800 meter star Bryce Hopple and Monty we talked to him he went out to the meet uh, the USA meet in Des Moines and he also went to an Iowa Cubs game there which actually outdrew the U.S. meet all three days so we kind of talked to Monty about Just ideas he might have for the sport, how track and minor league baseball are similar and different, drawing people to events. I thought it was a great conversation, so listen for that at the end of the interview. But you know, really, when the biggest stories are a women's German national record on the 5,000 meters and Jacob Ingebrigtsen getting a new car, maybe it's not the biggest week of uh, track and field news.
3: This show will be huge. This is Weldon Johnson, co-founder joining, and we have some intrigue about David Radish's personal life, maybe are two US stars dating. This is what people want to hear. No one really cares if somebody ran 14:26 for 5k or 14:12 for 5k.
0: But they do care whether you ran 3:41 for 1500 or sub 4 in the mile. Is a sub 4 minute miler, the Stanford coach or not, we may talk about that. So much to talk about, guys. But before we do, let's plug the sponsors. I've never tried their products, I'm going to admit it, but Weldon says I need to to calm down in life. I'm stressed out with the, ch- with the new baby. Floyd's of Leadville, get your certified CBD products, folks. You don't want to risk it and go into the drugstore and get something that may not be certified. Floydsofleadville.com. And this is your last chance, folks. We're going to be handing out the free the Pan Am shirts to anyone who donated to the Pan Am Games uh, team. The Pan Ams are start- have started but if you donate $50 or more, we will send you a free let t-shirt to help us cover our $2,000 in costs we're still on the hook for. Us. So just Google GoFundMe, Pan Ams, and donate now. And also, if you have donated, we're still looking for some of your t- uh, t-shirt sizes and addresses. So please email them in now because we're going to be ordering soon.
2: All right. Well, Robert, you mentioned the Rosie Ruiz news Uh, We didn't technically break that story. There was an obituary of her online. She died last month of of cancer after a 10-year battle. But you played the audio at the start of the show, and it's just wild to me. I mean, I wasn't born yet in 1980 when she cheated in the Boston Marathon, but it is absolutely wild that she could just sort of hop on the course with a mile or so to go across the finish line, and then she's crowned the winner. I mean, if some loony did this, in 2019, that immediately be found out. Everyone would know they're not a runner. And the idea that she could go and do this interview with Catherine Switzer and she doesn't even know what intervals are, and then it takes... She still gets the title of Boston Marathon champion for eight days before she's stripped and it's handed to Jacqueline Garreau, who was the rightful champion. It's just wild to me. I, I don't see any way it could happen these days in 2019.
0: Well, John, you're aware of the fact that we had a world record for a 70-plus-year-old set Modern recently. Frank well,
2: yeah, but he he's he's not winning the Boston Marathon. There's a difference between some guy crossing in like 254 and some woman plucking herself from the stands and breaking the tape at the Boston Marathon.
0: That's true, and it would be hard to do in this day and age with the technology and the chip timing. You know, if you missed all the mats, they probably would disqualify you much quicker. But I think this does show an interesting thing. Any Any true hardcore runner could instantly watch her come across the finish line and know she's not a 231 marathoner I and mean, she's barely moving she's slow etc i mean frank shorter's brother supposedly saw her on the ward stand and says that's cellulite city i mean <laughs> not very politically correct but it was dead on in terms of that front but it does it does i think get at the heart of why like the hardcore runners are so upset about some of these stories whether it's Mike Rossi, you know, not being disqualified in Lehigh Valley. Like, it's so obvious that they're cheats to the hardcore runners, but the average person, in some of these people are in charge of the races. It takes them eight days to disqualify them. So it's, like, kind of, like, you know, frustrating. Um, But it's just a wild story, isn't it? I mean, the fact that – the interview by Catherine Switzer was so good. Like, she called her the mystery woman, you know. I mean, she was trying to basically call her fraud, but still be polite. I thought it was really well done.
3: Yeah, I'd kind of like to hear from Catherine – if she was essentially like, yeah, I know you're cheating and w- what insiders were saying back then. The internet didn't exist, so you couldn't just sort of expose someone so quickly and hear what everyone's saying and real quickly, you know, establish their a cheat. But I think sort of the Frank Meza situation is somewhat equivalent. Like, people are like, what took so long to DQ these people when it was obvious to anyone who knew anything that they both were cheating? The other thing with Rosie is like, Until the day she died, she never admitted it, which is just kind of crazy. But I think that sort of shows the mindset of some of these people who cheat. And so we need to be careful, sort of, when we expose them, you know, what's the best way to do that? And sort of, I don't know, these are still people with some, oftentimes, I would say a lot of issues. And, you know, it sounds like she got to, you know, it's live the rest of her life. And there are some, a lot of other, problems in her life as well dealing cocaine that sort of stuff but i don't know i wish personally that she could have admitted what she she did but you know r.i.p rosie Ruiz. you get one shot at this and her shot is up so i think anytime one of god's little creatures dies it's a sad day
0: yeah we want to give a shout out to the original poster he's the one that actually broke it and he's now posted an update on let's run you know he uh, the reason why I put it on the front page and wrote an article about it was I couldn't believe that the Boston media doesn't have a story about this. Like, how does no one figure this out? And this poster says that he's his buddy is a sports writer and runner, and he noticed it and was, he's from Boston. And was no, surprised that the Boston media hadn't picked up on it. So it is kind of a, you know a, a wild story, really. Um, you know, Bill Rogers did try to get her to confess. Like he was. Trying to, you know, but the similarities between her and Frank Measure are similar. Like, neither one ever confessed to what they did. So,
2: well, I think Weldon made a good point there. If you're the sort of person who is going to try to cheat and win the Boston Marathon, you're also probably the kind of person who will deny that you cheated. So, that makes sense to me.
0: Okay, guys, let's move on to the biggest action of the week the German National Championships. 56,000 fans showed up over two days. Nice crowds, although it was in a huge stadium. So, um, And also, I think it was in Berlin. So I was going to give them total praise for crushing USAs, doubling the attendance of USAs in, in two days versus a four-day meet at USAs. But then I realized, well, Berlin is a hell of a lot bigger than Des Moines. So anyways, but it was nice to see a decent crowd out there. And Coco runs 1426. I think it's second all-time in, in Europe, right, John? or
2: Fourth all-time among Europeans.
0: Fourth all-time in
2: Few dopers ahead of her though.
0: That's why maybe people are saying second. So, John, how shocked were you by were, were you by the performance? And sh- my question is, should we be that shocked? Because as I point out in my week that was, and I just went up last night. She's run eight twenty for three thousand, which certainly converts to a sub fourteen thirty five thousand.
2: Yeah, you you wrote that. You had a good point in the week that was, Robert. I think at the time, if you had said Constance Klosterhofen runs fourteen twenty six in some diamond league, I wouldn't really be shocked by that but the fact that she did it in the german national championships solo and no real need to run fast that to me is super impressive to do it on a big stage national well big stage for germany national tv you know big big crowd in the house that to me is really impressive uh and i think the next question you asked is you know what event should she be running at the world championships she's run four flat for 1500 which is good but there are several women who have run significantly faster this year, whereas she's number four right now on the 2019 list at five thousand meters. And you know Sifan Hassan is one of those women in front of her. I think you said that Hassan might run the 1500. worlds. Well, I don't think so. I think she'll be doing the 5K, 10K. But if you're number four in the world, I think you have a better shot to medal in that event than someone, yeah, you know, than in the 1500, where I just don't think she has the top end speed for it.
3: Agreed. I don't think. I mean, her kicks probably improving like everybody else who seems to go to NOP. But I don't think she has. She's just not a fifteen hundred meter runner, world class. I mean, she's going to run world class times, but winning a championship race is very different.
0: Well, then can we admit? Well, then that Stefan Snod's not a world class eight hundred meter runner. When you were talking about the ten thousand eight hundred double, that's not going to happen. Works so well, but when you're trying to
3: achieve greatness, it doesn't really matter. Don't don't let facts get in the way. We want the 800-10,000-meter double. The world is behind this, is what we're pushing for.
0: So let's get back to Hassan and her. They don't train together, right? One's with or one's with Julian. I heard that one of the reasons why they signed um, Jessica Hole was Coco joined the team and was hoping to train with Hassan, but they haven't been training much together. So they needed someone else to train with Coco.
2: Yeah, I think from talking to Hassan at pre, they had not trained together until that point because Hassan had been doing mostly longer stuff, and Coco had been doing track stuff. I don't know if they train together moving forward, so I'm not totally sure on the situation.
0: So, John, you think the world record holder in the mile, Hassan, will run the 10-5, and do you think that's the right call for her? I mean, I guess you get two shots at a medal.
2: Yeah, I mean, she medaled in the 5K, and remember, in London 2017, she medaled in the 5K. She did not medal in the 1500. She ran both, and the 1500 was first. I don't know I'm trying I'm trying to think what is her best shot at gold I mean I think she might have a better shot at gold in the 1500 than in the in the 5k but there's a lot there's a lot of good women like uh, it's gonna be really tough for her to beat Obiri in the 5k if Obiri is on her game in the 5k I like Obiri over Hassan but the same you could say the same thing about Faith Kipugan in the 1500 so I I think it's a really tough decision but I yeah Look, they've been training for the 5K, 10K double. You get two bites at the apple there, especially the 10K if Almazayana is not running and she didn't look healthy. She didn't look fit at all when she ran prefontaine and got lost in that race. I think, yeah, I think 10K, 5K probably is the right call.
0: What upsets me about this is they've really got to set up the schedule so that the 15-5 and the 5-10 doubles are both possible. We have some women that are capable of running the 15 and the 5, and others running the 5 and 10, and Hassan can I theoretically do all three. And... You want to, you know, I, I just, I, I want to see the big stars running the events that they want to do and have more than one crack at it.
2: Yeah. What, What is the explanation? Why is this even debate? Like, it should just be easy. You, you know, 100, 200, 200, 400, 400, 800. Every time you go up an event, you either put one at the start of the meet or one at the end of the meet. No one's going to be running the 100, 400 double. So just have them both at the start of the meet. And then 200, 800, have them both at the end of the meet. It's not that hard.
0: Well, I think that the issue could be, you know, if you have the 15, We have to have the 15 when the 10 is, right? And then have the 5. Okay. Yeah. You could do it.
2: It's been done at previous meets. I know, like, people have run the fifteen hundred five. 5. Bernard Lagat won both in 2007.
3: But sometimes some people want to do the 2-4, some want to do the 1-2. I mean, things have changed, but right? But those when-
2: doubles... They're all doable. You put the you make sure you just put one event at the start of the meet and one at the end. So you put the hundred at the start and the two hundred at the end. So that's doable. You had the four hundred at the start and the two hundred at the end. So that's just doable. Alternate. Yeah, just alternate. Yeah. It's it's not hard.
0: Folks, this is why we should be in charge of USA or of the IAAF. By the way, folks, I had it up on the message board last week. The IAAF is looking for new board members. Guys that pays $22,000 a year. I think they're trying to expand their, their, like, I think they put this out publicly trying to expand their, probably trying to get, like, diversity or people who are not your standard people. I'm not sure if they're looking for white males, but would you like me to nominate any either, either one of you to the board position? You guys are already going to these meets, so I don't know if the board meeting's there. Maybe you could save them on some travel money.
3: So someone has to nominate you, you don't nominate yourself?
0: I think you could nominate yourself. I was thinking of, you know, putting my hat in the ring.
3: Oh, so I think you want us to nominate (laughs) you. You get paid for this and free trips to Monaco? I mean, like, man, I don't think they're going to be hurting to have some people. But, hey, I think they should have one media person on the board. Or We're not even just media. We are just cutting-edge thinkers. So I feel like, although we're white males, we're American white males. How many younger Americans, I'm throwing myself as still as younger since I look so good, are on, on this board?
2: Oh my God. Are you guys going to? I hope your arms aren't sore for patting yourselves on the back constantly during this podcast. I mean, if John,
0: now, John, if, John, if you apply, should you apply as a Brit? Probably not because Sepco is the president. So you should probably apply as an American. That's going to, you're screwed either way, I think. I think, yeah. We need to find another country we can identify with. But guys, back to the Coco thing. So it was surprising, right? She did it with no rabbits. But John, I don't know if you remember this name. You might have been too young. Does the name Josephat Mincho ring a bell?
2: Yes. This was like the early days of me going on. And no, it's not the early days of the site for Let's Run, but it's the early days of me going on Let's Run. was like, I think, summer of 09 or summer of 2010, right before I was in college or my freshman year of college. And people, there would just be every so often, there would be a Menjo update because he'd run, you know, these fast 5Ks in, in Europe and it would be like the third brother, the third Johnson brother, Menjo. So.
0: The dude soloed a twelve fifty five in some meet in Turku. I don't know where Turku is. Finland. I think second place was thirteen forty two in that race. Then he soloed like a sub twenty seven. So people have run fast. Now that was two thousand ten. It was really never seen from again. I wonder.
2: Look, he ran. The, don't you remember? He ran the five k for Kenya at the Lost World Championships. He did. Yes,
0: because he hasn't been running fast recently. He's thirty nine now. Oh, my God. In, t- in 2017, his PR was only 13.19. But, John... Wow,
3: well, I didn't even realize he was at Worlds last time. Mom's been missing him, and it would have been nice to reconnect. I mean, she's kind of <laughs> upset he hasn't, hasn't come for Thanksgiving the
0: last five or six years. 13.35. Sorry, Minjo, we loved you at the time. You were a sensation, but it's too bad they didn't have Worlds. It was 2010, John, when he was soloing all these performances. I don't wonder if he did any Diamond League meets like that year.
2: I mean, that's how bad Kenya has been hurting for the 5K in recent years, though. Like, I seriously, I saw his name on the entries for London 2017, and I'm like, is this a joke? Like, (laughs) I hadn't heard of him for for years.
0: Fascinating. He ran 12.55 on August 18th. Like, could he not get into a diamond? I guess it's near the end of the season. There's no diamond league meets to run. Like, it's just fascinating. Anyways.
3: Speaking of Kenya, there was some big news out. Was it this week? Yesterday, Tuesday. The Kenyan World Championship qualifying, which I think is separate from the Nationals in Kenya, was supposed to take place in, I believe, two weeks. And instead, now it's going to take place in six weeks. Is that the timing? I mean, it's kind of crazy. Two weeks out, they've moved the date of the Kenyan Nationals, but now the Kenyan Nationals will take place in the middle of September, sort of right at the last time names could be submitted for the World Championships.
2: Yeah. I mean, could you imagine if USATF had done this? Like, we'd be having an emergency pod. There would be a black page. Like, the entire site would be on fire if USATF two weeks before USA said, oh, actually, we're pushing it back three weeks. Uh, (laughs) Like, it's just amazing to me that this would happen. But in Kenya, I saw Athletics Kenya announce it, and I'm like, well, I'm not totally shocked by this. And if you look at it, you know one of the reasons they said they're doing this is because of the diamond leagues. They said they had several requests from athletes who would be participating in various diamond leagues to move the meet back. So originally it was supposed to be August 20th through the 22nd, but that's very close to the Birmingham diamond league, which is on August 18th. And then Paris is August 26th, I believe. And then they didn't want to push it back to conflict with the diamond league finals. So, oh, sorry, Paris is August 24th. So it would have been two days after the meet was over but they didn't want to have it to conflict with the Diamond League Finals, which are on August 29th and September 6th. So instead, they moved it to September 12th and the 13th, which is only two weeks before the Worlds began. And I know we here at let Run.com think that the U.S. had its trials too early, two two full months before the World Championships. But is two weeks in between the Diamond League Final and the World Championships, is that is that too late to hold the trials, do you guys think?
0: Well, you talked about the black page, John. I I would have been giving a black page in support of USATF. You should always have the trials at the last possible date. Take the human element out of it. Just let the performances stick. But now my argument here is this is a little concerning to me. I'm going to violate my own rules. Only in the sense of I I joked when I heard about this, John. You told me this morning. I'm like, okay, so great. So now the the Kenyans can burn themselves out, trying to get in the Diamond League final, run the Diamond League final, and then do the trials. But in actuality, I think this is like... Bad news for someone like Clayton Murphy. Because one of the names I was thinking of was Emmanuel Career. His form has not been fantastic this year. He was kind of... I'm trying to look at the standings right now. Um, I think he was kind of borderline to get in the Diamond League final. Because Kenya's is really going to hope... Yeah, he right now is... Well, he's not in the top eight in the 800 meters. Oh, yeah, yes, he He's third. So he's... Actually, take that back. He was safe for the Diamond League final. But you know, he's got more time to get in shape, get back into good form. Plus if Kenya wins 800, they'll have four spots and they'll know that going into the trials. So I don't know. I, I think it's, in, I think having to race after the diamond league final might be a little bit strange, but maybe it just keeps them fresher. Everyone else is going to have this big block of time when they're not racing. There's really nothing to do for, particularly for the Americans that don't get in the diamond league final. What are they going to be doing for all that time? So maybe it's a good thing.
2: Well, training, but I, I, What I worry about, I think, A, you're going to have a team that's... No doubt you have a team that's in shape, you know, that's running close to their peak, going to Doha, because you're picking the team only two weeks before. But I think the worry there is these guys will have been racing, and women, will have been racing at a very high level a lot during a short period of time. So say most of them run Birmingham or Paris to get into the Diamond League final, and then they run the Diamond League final and then they run the Kenyan Trials, and then they have to run Worlds, and there's multiple rounds at Worlds. You know, can you hold that peak and keep racing these high-intensity races time after time for maybe a month or six weeks? Maybe some athletes can do it, but I think you could see some people, maybe they peak at the Diamond League final, and then they're on the downtrend, and they barely make the team, and then by Worlds, they're burnt out. Or maybe, you know, I, I just think it's... It could be challenging for some athletes. You need to make sure that, and remember, Worlds is where you want to be running your best performances, not the Diamond League final.
3: Okay, you guys were talking about Kenyan five k and Mincho earlier. I went and looked this up. Guess how many Kenyans went sub thirteen twenty in five k last year?
0: Was it like one? I'll
3: say, I'll say two. Thirteen twenty people. Two. Wow, very disappointing. The correct answer is twelve.
2: Oh well why are you even asking that question then?
3: How many people do you think went I uh, went to 2010. I was gonna go back ten years, but twenty ten was a non worlds year. How many people do you think went sub thirteen twenty in two thousand ten?
2: Probably twenty five. Forty three. Holy crap.
3: There's twelve last year, so essentially like one third or one fourth less. But just sort of shows, I guess some want to argue drugs, but also just the emphasis, the emphasis of track running in Kenya is pretty amazing. That's amazing. They had forty-three guys do it. Yeah, sub thirteen twenty.
2: I think there's also just not as many five k's. I mean, you see some of these diamond leagues are three k's or two miles, and just to get it's hard to just to get into those races as well. Not saying that the trend isn't real. I'm just you know there there are fewer opportunities. I think for people to run truly fast in a 5k.
0: One thing I was thinking about, th- about this late date now, the trials, I was going to say it's been a, my benefit. Also, Elijah Maningoy, but he's already the defending champion, right? So he, theoretically, he could have a buy into worlds anyways.
2: Yeah. Assuming they give him the buy. I mean, if, t- what if, if Timothy Cheriok runs the, that wins the diamond league final, maybe they give the buy to him. I don't always know how it works with them.
3: Okay. I'm going to throw out another Kenyan name and see if you guys know who this person is. David Rudisha.
2: Yeah, I think I've heard of that guy.
3: Okay, we have a David Rudisha update. David Rudisha's last race was the Shanghai Diamond League in 2017. It's kind of crazy. Over two years ago. And there's an article in ke with an update from Michelle Boateng, Rudisha's agent, saying, David might not compete this season. The injury healed and reoccurred. He'll be late for the season. I think he'll be back next season. We expect well from him.
2: Well, then, uh, he actually raced four times in 2017. Shanghai was his first race. His last race was uh, a 144 in Hungary on July 4th. Hasn't raced since then, July 4th, 2017.
3: I knew I shouldn't have trusted a Kenyan newspaper without looking it up myself. I don't know, you know. Actually, I shouldn't trust any newspaper without trusting itself when it's about the last competition because they might be looking at, like, a big results database, a more detailed one. I went with it, and I was called out by John. And the reason this article came about was, you know, there's a post, for, I guess, from Radisha's wife saying, you know, David Lukita Radisha really stop frustrating me with my kids. To my family, my heart is heavy. I can't hold anymore. I love you all. So sort of disturbing post. And, you know, it's just a private matter. And Michelle said, you know, he doesn't know anything about that. I can't comment on the family matters. But I think all sportsmen, we want David Radisha back. We want to see the great David Radisha. But I think in reality, you know, we may never get that. But hopefully he gets his health and his personal matters in order. And if somehow he could come back in 2020 for the Olympics and have a final swan song. It'd be amazing.
2: Oh, it'd be it'd yeah. Uh, There'd be, well... I don't know if Tiger Woods is the right comparison, but for being it's basically this you know Radishas the greatest of all time, the eight hundred, and come back and win a third Olympic crown after basically doing nothing during this Olympic cycle would be incredible. Do you, how how old do you guys think David Radishas is? Don't look it up.
0: Well, I just, I'd already looked it up, so I'll, I'll remain quiet. Well done. thirty two.
2: He's only thirty years old. Now he turns thirty one in December, but that's not. As old, I thought he would be a couple of years older, but the 800, you know, the, that, I think it's, it's still pretty old for an 800 runner. That's an, it's a young man's game. You look at the the team we're sending to the the World Championships this year in the US: Brazier Murphy and Bryce Hoppel. They're all. I, I think Murphy's probably 24, and he's probably the oldest of that group. So it's a young man's event. But I don't know if if yeah, if Rudisha would win Tokyo. And Michelle Boating, his agent, in that article did say. The injury you know, the injury has reoccurred. He'll be late for this season, but he said I think he'll be back next season. So we'll see if that's just hot air or not, but it'll be interesting.
0: John, you called him the GOAT, but he did Wilson Kip Keeter did run 142 seventeen times in his career. I think Rudisha's only done it like twelve, I think I had a lunch I I put it up last week, but Yes. He's the GOAT, but Kip Keeter was very special himself. Okay.
2: Rudisha, how many times <laughs> I mean, David Rudisha has run 141 six times. Wilson Kipketer has done oh, sorry, seven times. Wilson Kipketer has done that four times, and he's Rudisha has the three fastest times of all time. I mean, come on. Okay, I
0: want to. I don't want him to look stupid because the fact that you got two Olympic golds to zero as well is kind of uh, a big one. So, but Kipketer was a very incredible runner. You know, I mean, it's kind of like a Federer and an adult. when those guys are on their game. They're all it's. You know, it's like, it's hard to say who would, who would who would win, you know, in their prime.
2: Oh, I don't think it's hard. I think I think Rudisha would run away from him, but I, I would love to see a race between the two of them in their prime. Can we get a time machine, someone with a working time machine, transport like 1997 Wilson Kipketer and, you know, 19, 2012 David Rudisha?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously the world record that he would beat him, but I just mean like put him in their best form, have him race five times. You know, I mean, or the best. You know, like, not their best day, but like.
2: Yeah, no, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, I actually. I mean, Rudisha's world record is only 0.20 faster than Kida's world record was. So, yeah, it would be a great race.
0: So let's hope. You know, sometimes you kind of have to hit rock bottom, maybe with an injury or some personal problems going on. Get that out. There, if anything's going to bring them back, you think it would be the Olympics.
2: Yeah, that's what well, that's what I saw Michelle Boating, his agent, last year at a meet, and I was asking him the same thing, because we were like, where's Radisha? Why isn't he running? He's like, well, he's been injured. Then I'm like, is he going to come back? And he's like, well, I don't know if he'll come back this year. But the one thing I noticed when I talked to him, if you talk about Tokyo 2020, you know, his yeah. eyes light up and, you know, he just gets excited, so... That would be the one big motivation. That's you know the thing you would th- hope, like maybe Usain Bolt, if Bolt ever comes back, it will be for the Olympics. I don't. Th- I think the chances are much higher we see Rudisha in Tokyo than Bolt, but it's probably probably we're not going to see either of them.
3: You guys were talking about Rudisha and Kipketer. I mean, those guys were just made to run the eight hundred. They just like glided around along so effortlessly, just beautiful. I can't think of anyone else like them. And that rem- that reminds me of the triple jump Jonathan Edwards like, I just remember seeing this guy just like kind of like ever so flow down the thing this like guy with gray hair breaking records and the only reason I'm bringing him up is I have put in the request for Christian Taylor I have not been given a no so my attempt to get Christian Taylor Phil Knight and Max Siegel is underway just an update here point of order
2: all right, mending fences and trying
0: to... I weren't too confident in you getting Phil Knight or, or any of those three men, so we did get Bryce Hopple's father. He will be on later at the end of the podcast. But guys, what else do we want to talk about before we get to the interview? I think we should go to the Pan Am Games
3: and the Men's 800 because we have a great matchup there. Pan Am Games often isn't known for its track matchups, but the 800 is very strong this year. The U.S. has got a great team, and Donovan Brazier and Bryce Hopple, but there's some other good guys as well with two Puerto Ricans who are kind of killing it this year.
2: Yeah, you've got Wesley Vasquez, who has set the Puerto Rican national record earlier this year. He did that at Monaco, 144.40. And then Ryan Sanchez, the 21-year-old youngster, he's run 144 as well this year. So Hopple's run 144. We know Donovan Brazier is the U.S. champ. He's run 143. So I think one of those guys isn't going to medal. And you have Marco Arop, who was the NCAA runner-up for Mississippi State last year. He's representing Canada. So that's definitely that's an event to watch this, this week in, in Lima.
0: We used to view Brazier as someone who wasn't good at running the rounds. He seems to have really gotten that down. But I think it's just nice to have a non-U.S. rounded event where he can get to a little bit more practice. He needs to dominate this event. He needs to win the gold here. That can only help him. Um, You know, some people are like, well, you know, why is he even bothering to run this race? I think it's smart. Practicing, pros don't get that much chance to t- practice tactical 800s. You know, you just get in line and run behind people in the Diamond League and Rabbits. This is, is good for him. But how about, John, you mentioned the two Puerto Ricans. They actually have three Puerto Ricans this year under 145. You can only enter two for Pan Am's, but Andres Royo, the former Florida Gator, has run one forty four ninety six. So three of the top twenty two eight hundred meter runners in the world this year are all from Puerto Rico. That's pretty crazy, huh?
2: Yeah, no, it's it's very uh, impressive. For I don't even know what their population is, but I it can only be a small fraction of the USA. But yeah, it's actually speaking of watching this meet, so it's interesting. I play pub trivia on Tuesdays, and I went to the bar last night. And one of my roommates looks over and he says, is that track and field? Is there a track meet on TV? It was like all the way across the bar on a TV on the side, far end of the bar. And I'm like, he's like, what's meet is that? I'm like, oh, that's the Pan American games. And I told him all about the selection controversy and everything. And so we asked our waitress, can we get it put on one of the TVs nearby us? And we did. And so maybe, I don't know if we got any track fans by watching the second heat of the decathlon men's 400 and the women's long jump medal ceremony. But there was some track and field on during pub trivia last night.
3: Yeah, I was on the message board yesterday and I saw that somebody had started a thread saying that the women's 10K final was on ESPNU. So I kind of turned it on and saw that the men's 5K final was coming up as well on ESPNU. So I started watching it. I mean, the whole thing in HD, it's at night. It looks pretty cool. Felt like a proud father because in the men's 5K, Tyler Day and Joseph Tessima both were on the team because of our lawsuit You know at the Let's Run.com Pan Am games. And Dwight, I think it was Dwight Stones was, maybe it was um, Dan O'Brien was talking about how Tyler Day I think had the top seed time and I was like, oh wow, this is great. And then unfortunately both guys got blown away the final two laps. Tessima stayed up well to the, to the bell. I don't know if they... I swear some of these guys, like they were kicking early, started kicking really hard with 600. And Tessimo went really hard with them. I'm like, man, this guy's really going to kill it. But <laughs> no, there was 600 to go, not 200 to go. But it's still cool for them. You know, they rightfully earned their spot on the team, and they got to compete in Lima, Peru on national TV, and I think it matters that the right people were on the team.
2: Absolutely. And actually, one controversy still remains, however, we were looking through the entries today. The men's fifteen hundred for the United States. We have Johnny Grigoric has entered, which makes sense. Johnny's a good fifteen hundred runner. We know who he is. The other entrant in this event is someone named Craig Allen, who none of us had ever heard of. So we've started we put the word out on a message board thread, and I just saw on Twitter Becca Gillespie Peter has replied, It's actually Craig Allen, the person whose photo they use for this and is entered in the men's 1500 he's actually a 400 hurdler he goes by cj allen and he's listed as the second entrant for the united states they already have two different guys norman grimes and emir latin entered in the 400 hurdles so i don't really know where this mistake came from did they mean to enter craig engels and they entered someone called craig allen instead like it's just strange to me
0: Victory lap for Robert Johnson, first of all. I'm laughing so hard. I started this thread right as we were starting to record this podcast, and I put a picture of him up from the Lame at Peru website. And, yeah, becca has got it on Twitter, but the, the thread is the super hot. Super hot. <laughs> There's almost, like, it's blowing up a much more. I look at it, it's got, like, I don't want to reveal our numbers, but this is, like, not only super hot, this is, like, two or three times a normal super hot. So USATF has managed to enter 400 hurdler, this is amazing. I hope he runs it. It'd be amazing. Like maybe he's already down there for a relay, and they're like, why not? And he's gung-ho. Wait, what if because of the lawsuit, like, they screwed up and rearranged
3: the names, and it had three 400-meter hurdlers down there, and they're like, dude, and they're like, <laughs> usually they just sort of bump them to the 800, but they got Brazier and Hopple, and they're like, dude, these guys are going to Worlds. We're not bumping them, but hey, if you want to run the 15, we got an extra spot because Craig single <laughs> canceled.
0: Oh, Beckett put a quote on the message board. It is C.J. Allen or Hurdler. The wrong person I entered. But don't worry. I'm sure USATF will figure out a way to blame the USOPC for this too. So this could be amazing, folks. This could be-
2: <laughs> we need to We need to find out when the men's 1500 heats are and make sure we're watching them to see what happens in this race. And I just put up a TV
0: page. It looks like most of the meets are on ESPNU. So that's what you want to watch. Uh, almost all the meets in Spanish too on ESPN3 or ESPN Deportes. So,
2: (laughs) Oh, it's a straight final. Straight final on Thursday. So we'll see who shows up on the start line.
0: So while we're getting forward to exciting races, the Pan Am 1500 being the most exciting, I guess. Guys, looking farther ahead, I think, to early November, we have the New York City Marathon Fields. They are out. Just came out yesterday, which is a little surprising to me. We have the full New York Field out, but the Chicago Field, which is in October, is not out yet. We only have the American Fields for Chicago. But um, the field, I, I guess, guys, there's good news and bad news in my mind. The women's field is really stacked up front. I mean, we have three marathon major winners f- from, the f- from the spring, right?
2: Yeah, reigning champions. Mary Katani in New York, Nesha Geffer in Boston, and Rudy Aga in Toko- Tokyo. So those three absolute studs should be a great race.
0: All have run under 219. I mean, three of the best women in the world. But it really drops off after that. Um, I think we have, there's only five women in the field, one of them Desi Linden, under 224. And pretty much the women's races are always run by women with a sub-224 PR. So I still think if those three women show up, it's not going to matter. It's going to be a heavyweight a title fight between three fantastic women. But what I put in, in our column yesterday was if one or two of them gets hurt, it's a real issue, John. I mean, you have one stud in a race like New York. And on the men's side, we've got a bigger issue, I think. I mean, we only have four guys in the entire field that have broken what, 208? Is that right?
2: Yeah, it's the four guys who went one, two, three, four last year Lalisa DeCisa, Sugar Katada, Jeffrey Camwar, and Tamarat Tola. I mean, last year's race was a phenomenal race. We had a great three way battle in the final miles in Central Park, but yeah, it it's not London in terms of depth and no race is maybe it's unfair to compare it to London. But I think the approach I notice is New York tries to go for quality over quantity. And maybe you would say there should be more quality here, but they try to go for runners who have been running a really good form. Whereas at the very top, whereas I think Boston, Boston might bring out guys with more impressive PRs, but some of those guys haven't hit those times in a few years. So It's a somewhat different approach. If we get the same result race race, kind of race as last year, it's going to be a win. But you know, if these guys aren't in quite the same form, or you know, if if one of them, one or two of them gets injured, like you said, Robert, suddenly you're down to not that many guys under two hundred eight. This can't be the
3: final fields, right? You guys think this is it? I assume they'll kind of fill in with a few more people, but this would beg the question: Why is a top ten at a world marathon major? considered automatic olympic qualification because this field isn't strong enough this is the final field there's only 10 guys that run under sub 210 so i feel like new york needs to fill the field with a couple guys maybe have a new category like up-and-comers guys who deserve a shot i I don't know i feel like you need a little more than this than just two or three four people on each field because one or two of those will probably scratch
0: Yeah, I mean, I did the research, you know, going back, I've been keeping track of like how many sub-206, 208, 210 guys are in the field. The lowest number of 208s in any major since the start of 2017 is six. And we only have four here for the men, which is just not enough. And, you know, it it gets also into the discussion of if we're going to expand these majors and have even more, really, you know, are there enough guys to go around? I mean, I, I... this is what I said. If we're going to expand it, and I said this on the podcast a few months ago, if we're going to have two more majors, I think some of these races need to go to men's only pro fields, women's only pro fields, because there's I want a major with five or six real studs and a really quality race. You know, I don't just want one or two people. Although it was interesting to me when we went going back and watching that Rosa Ruiz clip. Maybe it was more exciting. There wasn't a lot of depth back in 1980, probably in the women's field. But it was kind of exciting because you didn't really know who was winning. Like you had to find the women. There wasn't there wasn't like GPS tracking of all these things. It was like okay, well, this person was ahead four miles ago. Who's ahead now? It kind of was like the unknown made it exciting.
2: Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think we should be expanding these fields because expanding. Sorry, the world marathon majors. I think like we're already six is fine. Like because look, I, I was thinking. I thought back to 2016 when Abdi Abdurrahman got third. He was two months shy of his 40th birthday, and he got third in New York. And then you had guys, here's eighth, ninth, and tenth, Tyler Pinnell. All right, Tyler did run well. He was fifth in the Olympic trials that year. But Ben Payne and Patrick Smythe were ninth and tenth in in New York that year. And those aren't guys who you would think would be top ten world marathon major caliber.
0: Here's a conspiracy theory, since everyone loves a good conspiracy theory. Do you think that New York and a bid to try to, because they have pretty good American fields, particularly since it's only 17 weeks before the trials, we did a pretty good job in getting the, you know, Jared Ward and Desi Linden and stuff like that. But do you think to try to get the Americans to go? When they're building this field, they didn't know that the Olympic trials would have the auto A standard. So maybe they purposely tried to water down the international field by saying, Hey, if you run decently, you're gonna get top ten here. And John, what do you think of that theory?
2: Robert, I don't know if I believe that conspiracy theory, but I love that conspiracy theory. Because that's something that we have been talking about. We're like, do the race directors... Also, Chicago... Here's the second part of the conspiracy theory. Chicago hasn't released their international field because they weren't planning on having an international field until after the news about the Olympic standard. I don't believe either of those, but I think they're pretty fun conspiracy theories.
0: Whoa that's gene john I, I i came up with the theory but you took it and, and lost you you oh my god it's amazing that's that's genius I this is a true story I had a, a, a in a, I don't want to reveal my sources because it's probably just a, someone told me who works in a in a someone said well why don't the fields just not invite very many people from Africa they suggested that and this was a person who works in professional athletics full-time So that's all I'm going to say. Okay, here's a question for you since we asked to put people on the spot. Guess how many marathoners, I was thinking we didn't have enough to go around, have broken 208 so far this year in 2019, worldwide. John, you're first.
2: In the world? (sighs) Probably like uh, 65.
0: Weldon? Zero women. Weldon's correct. John, pretty close.
2: 58 so, we only have
0: four people in the field that are.
2: Well, then that's just a cop out. Well, then you're a coward. You won't, you won't even make a prediction.
3: I said zero women. I'm just trying to get across the importance of different sexual classifications in sport and why it matters. Thank you. Well,
2: I'm sure the women of, of the United States and the world really appreciate you sticking up for them in this instance, Weldon. I think you're just more worried about looking foolish after you know, an earlier stats correction on this podcast, but I digress.
0: Did Robert just admit to taking credit for something you started, John? For what? No, I started I started the idea about the conspiracy theory and John just took it to another step. I actually collaboration with John. Yes. John and I work so well together.
3: That's good. I've noticed a few things on the website. Robert's now putting his name on the week that was. What's up with that, Robert? Are you feeling overlooked at let's dot com? I just
0: I I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really. Wow. Put on the spot. Rojo. silent. I'm not really sure. I, I feel like that's my thing that I write every week and people enjoy it. And I feel like I deserve credit for it. Um, I missed the last Olympics, it, 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 you know, because of the baby. I do have a credential media. John, we, this actually will get us into what we can put on our resumes. So what if Let's Run somehow? What if the internet changes and Google wipes us out? Stops linking to us. And then I'm jobless, and I'm 45. Age discrimination is a real thing. But also, people don't like white males anymore. So how would I get a job? I need to have some sort of resume. Hopefully, I don't have to try to get a newspaper job. They don't pay very well. But my, hey, my my good friend running with Buffalo's author, Chris Lear, he talks about age discrimination all the time in his job. So I don't know. I just thought it was a good thing to have. But guys, if I was trying to get a job, could I say, like, I've covered the Olympics, right? I've never been to the Olympics to cover them.
2: You would need to clarify what you did. You I co- I wouldn't just list in your resume covered these
0: say covered credential journalists. Credential journalist twenty sixteen
2: covered Olympics. That's misleading. I think you gotta be careful, Warbert. If
0: I was the head
3: track coach at Stanford and I'd run a .341-1500, could I say I was a sub four minute Miler?
0: No, of course not. And what Weldon's getting at is that was a that was a big threat on Let's Run. JJ Clark folks, the Stanford job has gone to JJ Clark, fantastic middle distance coach, his I think he coached his three sisters, or was one of them his wife? It was amazing. Wife like, and
2: two sisters to one, two, three at the Olympic trials in the 800, which is, that'll never happen again. I mean, that's ridiculous.
0: And he was a pretty good mid D runner back in the day, um, 341, 1500. But in his bio, for a long time, he said he was a sub four minute miler, which is not true. That really bothers some people on Let's Run. We have written to Stanford, uh, and they have corrected the bio. I think, John, you and I didn't think it was a that big of a deal but it did bother me. I mean, I feel like they should have just said he ran a th- sub 4 minute mile equivalent. I would have been fine with that language. Don't even have to say 341.
2: Right. That oh that's what they now say that's what they say now uh that he ran 3415 for 1500 which equates to 359 mile. But I agree. If you're if you haven't broken 4 minutes in the mile, you're not a sub 4 miler. It shouldn't be listed on your bio. I don't know. It looks to me Stanford said that they only put that in because that's what his Yukon bio said. His Yukon bio looks to be basically based off of his Tennessee bio. So at some point, when whoever wrote his Tennessee bio, whether it was him or a SID staffer or something, someone put in that line about the sub-4 mile. It's still unclear how it originated, but yeah, I, I don't think it's a major issue, but I also think... Anyone in track and field would know 341, 1500. I don't think you can call yourself a four-minute sub-four-miler. I just disagree with anyone who could say that. You, you just do it, or you don't.
3: Yeah, I had a bigger issue that he said it was while in college, because it should just say sub-four-minute-mile equivalent. But it also wasn't in college. It was two years after college. So a good thing it's been corrected. I mean, these, one way to have this would just be sort of every time the – communications department writes one of these things have the coach sign off that you know everything's accurate because i think these things can slip in there and then once they're in there people will probably oftentimes just sort of let them go but good thing that that's corrected
2: i mean i imagine he hadn't he probably hadn't read that bio since maybe he was at tennessee i I don't know so maybe he didn't know about it but yeah i don't know how it got in there
0: I think the reason why it struck a nerve is there's, the coach's threads are the most brutal threads on Let's Run. There's so many people that want to be a coach, and it's hard to break in. And putting yourself as a sub a miler, an AD doesn't care about track. They know that. They might be impressed by that. They might not understand a 341. So people are like, you know, did he use that to get the first job? But maybe he probably already coached his sisters to that great success before he even got the Tennessee job. I, I wonder the timing of it all. Anyways. Yeah, people talk about moderation on Let's Run. By far,
3: the worst thread is coaches opening thread coaches trash one another their jobs are at stake
0: there and well, talking about threads guys i want to go to one john as your employer we're often you know we need to provide more self-help and uh therapy and i don't know what i'm saying mental help john just let, let me rephrase this how old are you jonathan
2: i'm 28 years old
0: is that a legal question for an employer to ask when, since I'm talking about age discrimination. Okay, here's my thread of the week, John. There's a new nationwide poll that says 89% of Britons aged 16 to 29 years old think their life is meaningless and without purpose. Do you agree? Can I put you as one of those 89% or are you and one of the 11% that has some meaning and purpose in your life?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I have meaning and purpose in my life. Am I going to be remembered 100 years from now? Probably not, but that doesn't mean you can't have meaning and purpose. I try to be the best friend and relative and, you know, brother and son and employee that I can be. And uh, that to me is a purpose. It's not the, is it the most grand purpose on earth? No, but no, I, I would say I'm in the
0: 11%. I feel like that was a, a little disingenuous answer. What about best Patriots fan, John? That should have been first, journalist second, and then family needs to go <laughs> to
2: I don't know. I feel like I'm doing a fine job rooting on the Patriots. They seem to have been having some success recently.
0: But it's all tied to when you became a fan.
2: I'm just saying I became a Patriots fan in December 2001. Two months later, they win their first Super Bowl on my 11th birthday. Who's to say? Well,
3: we promised to talk about two things in the intro and we've not spoken about either. Some of the top threads of the week, the number one thread of the week was... Constance Coco running 1426. The number two thread, Ingles and Houlihan dating, question mark. I don't think we have an answer on that one, but people love to speculate on the personal lives of some of the stars in our sport.
0: Well, I think we have proof that he was at her lake house. So we don't know what that means. I mean, I guess you could just go as friends, but they are in separate training groups, so they're probably at least close
2: friends. Yeah, I don't really like engaging in faceless speculation so i won't
0: i will like to introduce the cornell distance team's theory on dating this theory was developed by sort of collective effort at cornell um when like my third or fourth year there and it worked amazingly well for everyone on the team and the theory went like this when a guy and a girl these were both it was based on like three couples and they were all inter-team couples so one man and one woman one on the men's team one on the women's team And basically, the theory was that like when the man was pursuing this woman and she was showing some interest and maybe they were just barely dating, the man ran amazing. He was on top of the world. This woman was interested in him. Maybe he was getting some sexual fulfillment for the first time in a long time. Whoa,
3: whoa, whoa, whoa.
0: He was a stud and boom, off the charts right away. The woman, on the other hand, ran incredible, not right away. But the next year, once her emotional, once the relationship was stable, the emotional needs were met, boom, she took off. So under this theory, 2020, if they're still dating, would be, if they are dating now and still dating in 2020, Shelby Houlihan will be amazing in 2020, but it would explain Craig Lingle's breakout in 2019. He is in the pursuit phase and crushing it. Wow. Craig Engle's 2019 world champion,
3: Shelby Houlihan, 2020 Olympic champion, via this theory groundbreaking right here in let's run.com
2: based off a half ass theory developed from 15 years ago on people who may or may not be dating we have no idea but yes ind- indisputable proof
3: and i think the women at cornell really had huge breakthroughs under this thing but hoolihan's already had her breakthrough other top threads the college coach's opening thread can drew hunter open his stride I guess that's all that's holding him back.
0: Well, I talked. I, I feel bad. I mean, I, I said I, I fast-forwarded to the part where Drew Hunter was running that 5,000 at USA's and getting dusted. I went back and re-watched it because I thought it might have been a little harsh. But someone else obviously kind of noticed the same thing. He doesn't look real fast at the end of that race. But I watched the whole last lap, and it wasn't as depressing to me as I, as, I, as I made it to be last week. So, Drew, still got a little hope for you.
2: Yeah, he made the world championships team at 21 years old. I think he'll I think he'll he's doing okay, but uh we haven't lost faith in you, Drew.
3: Jacob Ingeberson has a new car. This is a top stride as well. Jacob buys a very dope car. Apparently it's the Mercedes. They deserve full credit here because he bought it. GT-R, 569 horsepower. Apparently it's a hundred and fifty thousand dollar car in the United States. Now cars I think all cars are very expensive in Norway. So if you're going to buy like a $75,000 car, maybe just buy a $150,000 car. I'm not sure. I'm not 18 and like killing it and making tons of money. But how much money do you think he's buying? I mean, the, I guess young kids don't think about houses and stuff. And maybe the housing situation's better in Norway. But
0: wait, while well, just saying buying it, maybe he got it as part of a sponsorship deal or got a half off. Aren't they kind of like the Kim Kardashians of, of Norway? Don't they have their own reality show? Like, how popular are they?
2: I mean, they, they do have a reality show. I don't. It's probably not as popular as the Kardashian trash that airs over here. But yeah, I mean, they they have to be among the country's biggest sports stars, right? A trip, tr- you know, a trio of siblings who are among the best in the world. Norway can't have that in any other sports, surely.
0: And let's give them a shout out. They did all race last week. Philip, they won the Norwegian Athletic Championships. All three of them. Philip won the 800, 148-45. Narrowly, over 148.61 for second place. Jacob won the 1500 by eight seconds in 336.33. And, and is it Henrik or Onrik? He ran the 5,013.50.
2: Hen- Henrik, I think you're the first person I've, I've ever heard who's tried to pronounce that name Onrik, silent H. Spanish.
0: I'm a Spanish speaker.
2: But he's Norwegian. Hola. You're, is Spanish your first language, Robert? <laughs> Rojo
0: en huejo.
3: I remember one guy met me. He thought it was Rojo and Weho and that we were <laughs> Hispanic. And like next week in the Democratic debates, we will try to speak a little Spanish on the podcast to diversify our audience.
2: Do we do a quick Premier League preview here, Weldon? Is Crystal Palace going to get relegated? You seem worried about them. They might sell Wilfred Zaha.
3: I actually am more confident now. Crystal Palace will stay up. I believe this is it. This is the end of the road for Brighton, Hove, and Albion.
2: Brighton and Hove, Albion. Please give us a a credit. We've been in the Premier League for three years. Could be the end of the road. Yeah, you guys, you were saying there was a podcast, soccer podcast. They were only talking about the top six teams. We only talk about the bottom ten teams when we talk about soccer. So, Premier League kicks off this weekend. Brighton, Watford, 10 a.m. Eastern, Saturday. Catch your soccer fever.
0: And that's going to lead us into the Monty Hopple interview that John and I did with him. And it it was sort of, uh, I saw, I was doing the homepage last week and I saw an article on on how Monty was the general manager of a double-A team. I thought, oh my God, we've got to get this guy on the podcast or at least interview him because we've wondered for years, like how does minor league baseball consistently outdraw track and field meets? I mean, we can't get 10,000 meet. Fans consistently to the diamond league in New York meets cancel, but you know minor league teams can regularly draw eight nine thousand to a game. So you're going to hear our interview with him and John. Should we give away the big takeaway? Or, I mean, I was shocked by one thing.
2: Were you? Yeah. Well, I was surprised. I, I was surprised. He actually was pretty impressed with the attendance at USA's. He thought they drew well and that put they put on a good show. So that's that surprised me.
3: Yes, and I've listened to the podcast, I listened to you guys, and I knew you guys were shocked because you guys were hoping he'd pile it on USATF, and
0: he said, oh, I think they did a pretty good, decent job with the attendance. I've never been more shocked. I was I was expecting just to have a rip fest for like 30 minutes on USATF, and now I feel like maybe I'm jaded, maybe I'm prejudiced against USATF, so USATF Max, when we have you on the show, we'll give you a free, we'll give you a, a fair shot. Yes. See, this shows. I'm not out to
3: get Max Siegel if he thinks the attendance was great. John, were there actually people sitting on the... I, I, I kind of question their attendance figures, but maybe they're counting everyone competing and the volunteers and that sort of stuff. I mean, Eugene does that as well at some events, I've heard. But were there people actually on the backside on the final day? Not very many, right?
2: No, not very many. The back straight was in in the sun like during the entire time, so no one really wanted to sit there. But I, I question attendance figures from basically any sporting event, like... If these parades, like, when they have championship parades, they're like, oh, 5 million people went to the Cubs parade. No, they didn't. There's no way of measuring that. And fi- Do you have any idea how many 5 million people is? So, I saw the attendance figures for USAs. I kind of assumed that they were slightly inflated. Maybe they were count- Like, it didn't seem to me that there were ever, you know, 9,800 people in the stadium at any one point. But I have no way of... I have no way of totally refuting it. But, yeah, the backstreet was never really... Uh, very never more than i would say 20 percent full at any time and that might be generous
3: okay let's drop the monty hopple podcast afterwards guys since i've heard it we can discuss a couple things so we'll have a little commentary after the podcast here it is though monty hopple the dad of bryce hopple and also the gm of the midland rockhounds the double a team of the oakland athletics so i guess i'll have to root for the oakland athletics this year that's next and then Real quick, Robert and John, I got one comment afterwards, so we'll have a little commentary after the Hopple podcast. But here's Monty Hopple. Thanks for joining us, Monty.
2: We are now joined by Monty Hopple. He is the general manager of the Midland Rockhounds of the Texas League. They're the AA affiliate of the Oakland A's. He's been in his position. This is his 30th year as general manager. He is also, from a track and field perspective, he's the father of Bryce Hopple, who is the NCAA indoor and eight. Indoor and outdoor 800 meter champion this year for the University of Kansas, and recently turned professional after making Team USA in the 800. Uh, a great season all around for Bryce Monty. Thank you for joining us this afternoon.
1: Great to be here, Jonathan. The reason we
2: had you on, Robert, you know Robert Johnson is also joining us on the call here today, and it sort of came to him after USA's a couple weeks ago. We were out in Des Moines, and one of the stats that someone relayed to us was that the Iowa Cubs had actually outdrawn they're the triple A AAA baseball team in town. They'd outdrawn USA's. So the attendance went, you know, there was thirteen thousand for the Iowa Cubs on on the Friday night game, ten thousand on the Saturday night game, eleven thousand on the Sunday game. And no day at USA's drew more than ninety eight hundred fans uh, on any of the six, four days of competition. And Monty, you said you were in town, you went to both the game on I think Saturday and the track meet on uh, for Bryce's rounds on Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. Why do you think that is? Why is a minor league baseball team outdrawing the national championships for track and field?
1: Well, um, Sam Burnaby, the general manager, has been with the Cubs forever, I mean, they're one of the best AAA teams all in minor league baseball. And there's a lot of advantages we have. Um, you know, we're year round doing this and doing it for a long time in our respective markets. I mean, in the fall, we're selling season tickets, we're selling sweet nights, we're doing mini plans, we're selling group nights, and we have a season-long schedule that everybody knows we're, when we're going to be playing every year. And so, I mean, you know, the USA's, you know, I know it's been in Des Moines before, and uh, it's just hard to do special events, but um, I, I was one that was really impressed with the attendance um, at the at the meet, and, and being there, I was impressed with... Uh, the merchandise, the sponsor set up, and just everything they did there, so I had a good impression on the crowds as far as how big they were really
2: so you were why why did the crowds impress you because I think a lot of us at the meet were so like oh, it's a little depressing, especially like the ten thousand meet to final on Thursday night. I mean everyone pretty much emptied out to you why, why were you impressed by the crowds?
1: Well, I mean, you know I just i didn't know what to expect I mean I've been at different meets, obviously I've been at um The Texas uh, State meets where they do one A through six A, and of course, there's so many parents and family members that come, but um, and and they pack, you know, UT there. But um, I I just had a good impression. I didn't really know what to expect. I know families come from all over the United States, so you have to rely on a lot of people locally to come out and support the team. And you know, there's so much else going on, but um, yeah, just from a marketing perspective. Even when we host the All Star Game once every, you know, eight years, um, we have to have to really bust it, pl- spend a lot of time working with um, youth baseball teams to sell blocks of tickets, to go out to sponsors and and sell this one special event. So, I mean, there's probably some unique things you can do to improve that attendance. Um, you know, and take up the minor league philosophy on giveaway nights or have an autograph signing by a former Olympian do fireworks, Um, but mainly I think it starts with the community saying, we want to host this event, we want to get the chamber, the visitors and convention bureau involved and some local sponsors and go out and sell blocks of tickets if you want just to guarantee sellouts. I think there's a way to do it um, to get more of the local people to come.
0: That's really interesting, Monty Roberts, joining in here. I mean, one thing I've sort of said, you know, I've been following elite track and field for about 20 years now and maybe 25 years. And throughout that time, people have said, oh, if just the sport was marketed better, it would be popular. And I've started to think like, you know, in the last 10 years, maybe that's just not true. Like maybe our sport's not that popular. I mean, I think the Olympics will always be huge because it means so much. And and part of the reason why it's so special is like track is kind of this obscure sport for four years and then two weeks. It's just the biggest thing on the planet. But one of my things when I think about like the struggles of track is the fact that the average meet, and obviously this isn't USA's, but the average meet is basically a practice. It doesn't mean anything like the results of the competition don't really, you know, it's just they're about running fast and doesn't matter who wins or loses. So I, I kind of thought that was an inherent flaw in the sport, except when you get to the championships but then I thought about minor league baseball. I mean, the outcome of the game doesn't really mean that much either. I mean, I know they're keeping score and I know their standings and you can be, you guys were the double A champions for a number of years, but everybody in your team would rather be in the major league. So do you think that's a problem? Like, how do you get around that as a minor league baseball general manager? The fact that the, you know, who wins and loses isn't all that important.
1: Yeah. With our affiliation with major league teams, we don't control the on-field talent. So they hire the manager, they hire the players, they bring the players up when they want, they... They, you know, take the player up to AAA, even though we're in a pennant race. So what we have to do is just provide a great atmosphere. We can't control the field, the team on the field. So that's where we just hustle year round. I mean, even though baseball attendance is is, is big and we have good success here, most of the work is done convincing people in the behind the scenes in the offseason to come out as a group, to buy season tickets. I mean only a fair amount of people decide to walk up on their own. So it's a year-round process of marketing. And um, so I I think if some other things are done just to have, you know, just a fun environment and, you know, maybe there's some fun races in between the real races that get the local community involved. But it's all about, I think, um, at least for baseball it is and, you know, major league baseball is a little different, but minor league baseball, It's all about the promotions and the camaraderie and the experience. And then if the team wins, they win. If they lose, they lose. So I think um, not to pretend I know how to run a track and field meet because, you know, obviously for myself, I I enjoy and I I like the in-between time, um, you know, between races. But I mean, the race, the meets I go to are really well run, but uh, maybe there's some things you can do in between to get the general fan out to say, you know what, they're doing fireworks, they're doing a special giveaway of a Jim Ryan you know, bobblehead night, um, and I'm going to go watch and see what this is all about.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point, because that's something that I noticed. I was in Des Moines all week for the championships, and I talked to some of my Uber drivers, and they were like, yeah, I didn't hear about this thing until... Like two days before or one day before. And, you know, I, they just hold the German athletic championships in Berlin over the weekend and that drew, meet drew about 60,000 fans, uh, across the two days. And one of the things that they do is promote this thing year round. They're always getting in contact with people. They have like a big email list, I'm sure, and the advertising, they're promoting the meet. I think that's something that people in des moines and you know not just des moines but any community that's hosting one of these big usatf events needs to do a better job of and track town actually eugene does a pretty decent job of staying occasionally around but these other meets you need, the people need to know before just like the day the week of that this event's going on
1: yeah i mean I, it's kansas relay has been going on forever and i was there this year and i thought it was really cool i mean the autograph line was way down the concourse when they brought in Jim Ryan to sign autographs just to be part. I mean, he went to Kansas, but I just thought that was a neat thing they did. And I don't know if it drew any more people, but I, I got to think it drew a few more hundred just to come out and meet him.
2: So, Monty, were you were you a fan of track and field before Bryce got into running, or do you really get introduced to this world through him?
1: No. I mean, I ran track in high school, not in college, but, um, you know, I – i've been a big fan of it and my other kids have ran it and and then obviously they went on and did some other sports but um yeah i mean it we we've been a fan forever i mean bryce hasn't really been he he was doing more soccer and he didn't start running track in high school till after his sophomore year so i mean he was just playing club soccer and doing some other things but um you know so we've been around it our whole lives
0: Speaking of Rice's background, I know that he, you say you know you're talking about all the sports he did. It looks like one of the sports he didn't do though was baseball. So, do you have a baseball background yourself? Like, does the family play baseball, or did you just somehow get into baseball? You know, general manager separately.
1: Yeah, so I think um, he he t- he he played around in junior high one year with football. So I think that. I think somehow he made a mistake when he talked about his sports, but he did play baseball up until an age and was on the all-star team. I think he played till he was about fourteen or so. So he was a pretty good baseball player, but really his main focus was soccer. But you know, you know, I I I grew up in a small town, so you could go from one sport to the other. It's a little bit different in a in a bigger city when it's six a in Texas, but yeah, Bryce. Um, he did play baseball.
2: Robert, you're mentioning the other sports, and uh, Monty was telling us, you know, the, the sports that Bryce played. To me, you know, th- obviously football and baseball. I didn't. Re- I never played football growing up, but I watch it every week. I watch the NFL. I'm a huge fan. And I think that's one of the areas where, like, track and field has a real problem. Is that the entire fan base is either parents of athletes or friends of athletes or former athletes who still enjoy the sport. And to me, like. I watched the the 800 meters specifically. I think is that and the 1500 are pretty much the two most exciting events because they're long enough that you can sort of get a story going, but they're not so long like that you fall asleep during the race or something like that. I'm kind of curious what you think, Monty. I mean, why are those those events? I feel like any sports fan could be a fan of the 800 or the 1500 if they just watched a few races. Do you, Do you think that's the case?
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, you're right. Some of the races take a little while, and some of them are – you know, or um, over real quick, but I mean, I, I think as far as TV goes, it's it's real crucial to kind of go from one screenshot to the other and keep people interested. But um, you know, I I do think 400, 800, 1500, some of the toughest races. But um, yeah, I, I I personally, what I've seen here in just the last Bryce's um, time at Kansas, I do feel there's a lot of momentum building for track and field. And um, I I do think it's getting better, but I, I do think those races are exciting. I mean, sometimes, you know, going to some high school meets where it can really catch you is if it's not, the meets not run really well. So it takes forever. There's delays. That's similar to what they're doing in baseball to speed the game up with the pitch clock. So, you know, you only can keep people interested for so long, but I think that's part of the presentation to make sure it's moving along, it's entertaining. And maybe there's a few things that go on between, you know, races that can keep the fan, you know, entertained. But, you know, I, I, think, I, I think there is a growing um, interest in, from what I've
0: seen do you Do you have any idea like what percentage of the people are there for the baseball game and or but how much
1: of it's just people looking for something to do that 's fun in the summer with the kids yeah we we 've done surveys and you know camaraderie with their family or their business partners coming out as a group or coming out for the giveaway or the entertainment is big i mean you can 't not say that they don 't come out for baseball because if it wasn 't for the baseball game first, then they 're not coming out for the other things but I think a lot of people are coming out because they're coming as part of a church group, a little league team. They're coming out with their company and they're coming out for a giveaway. And there happens to be a professional baseball game, which is very important. So I do think it's a lot for the entertainment value, especially in our market. I mean, there's some markets that are right outside their major league affiliation market. You know, if you're in Springfield, and you're not too far from the Cardinals. They're all coming out and they're wearing red and they want to know who the next player is for the for the St. Louis Cardinals. But that's different for us here. And I think that's how it is in most minor league baseball teams is, you know, they come out for a lot of fun and entertainment.
0: You talked a lot about the season tickets. How many season tickets do you guys sell a year? I mean, I think the population of Midland is only 130,000, so
1: yeah um we're one of the best drawing teams per capita I mean we're in a in a league with a lot of big you know big cities so we we sell in the neighborhood of twelve hundred plus a lot of different mini plans that that add up to season tickets so I mean the key is to get people to use them because you're not using them every game but um yeah it's um this is a great sports market I mean, baseball's done well here. Um, you know, I think we're in our 47th year of professional baseball. It was Cubs, Angels, and now the A's, and um Midland's done a great job keeping a Double A team in a in a small market. You know, if, if there was expansion, there's no way you'd get a Double A team in this size market now.
0: Yeah, and how how big of a factor is cost? I mean, one of the things I was thinking about maybe track sort of struggling. I mean. Is the cost of the ticket a little bit more? It looks like you know the USA's the ticket was like twenty dollars a session, whereas I think the average minor league ticket is only like six dollars. Like, how much would a season ticket be for for your season there? Like, do you think it's a lot harder to sell a twenty dollar ticket than it
1: is a five or six dollar ticket? all the parents and family members coming in from out of town, you know, they're going to buy those tickets, but maybe that has an effect. Robert, you're right. That's a little high maybe for the local group to come out to say, I just want to do something. Track and field may not be my thing, but it looks entertaining. I want to go check it out. So, you know, maybe that's a little high. You're right. I mean, our tickets are 10, 12, and 16. Um, so I think most minor league tickets have you know, have pretty good value. I mean, there's discounts if you come on a Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, but not not really on the Thursday through Sundays. But um, that that could have a factor. You know, be might be onto something. It just and that's what I'm saying. One one of the things we did for the All Star Game. If I was you know on the planning group with the Chamber of Commerce or whoever helped, you know, bring this meet in and plan, I would try to get as many track groups or even companies to help volunteer their time to go out and sell blocks of tickets for a group rate. I mean, that's the main way we go from, you know, 3,000 a game to 6,000 a game is is to get people that come out as a group. And that's where we really build our attendance. So Monty, what
2: is the biggest obstacle you guys face, you know, in drawing attendance and do, is, is it similar for USA for USATF and the, you know, trap meets? Do you think it's the same issue or are there different issues in different sports?
1: Well, um, for us, the issue is playing 10 games in a row, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, the weather has a big impact, obviously, something we can't control. Um, how the team plays really doesn't affect us unless somehow we really stink it up for a half a season. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think the the toughest thing maybe for us is playing so many games in a row. And, you know, for special events, I mean, we host the All-Star game here last year. And you say, well, you you have the All-Star game and all these major leaguers are going to be on your field from all different teams. But it's not going to sell out unless we go beat the doors down and go um, meet with these groups and convince them with as busy as people are, you got to go to them and sell blocks of tickets and say, hey, we're hosting this. We want to put Midland on the map. We want to have one of the best all-star games ever. And it's not going to sell out on a Tuesday night. And same thing with the track meet. I mean, you know, the founders there, I'm sure do a lot of, there was so many good things about the meet, but if somebody said, hey, we want to sell vouchers where they can come to any any part of the meet for the for a certain section of 500 to a thousand seats, and just sell blocks of them and say, "Hey, Des Moines, you know, we want to be proud and we want to pack this place, so we're going to go corporation by corporation or youth group by youth group and say." And, and just sell blocks. I mean, only a certain percentage of those are going to show up if people are buying those in in bulk. But it, it's the way to get a bunch more people in uh, from our local community.
0: So th- that's interesting. And we we're having this debate as to, like, where USA Nationals should be. Obviously, um, I don't know if you've been to Eugene. I mean, Eugene is viewed as track town USA. My theory on that is Eugene should definitely host, like, Last year when the USA Nationals meant nothing, I mean, there was no world championship team to qualify. I kind of feel like they should be given it that year because, you know, if the pros aren't even showing up to run in the meet, how can you expect the fans to really show up? And But I I think, do you think there's something to be said about the, um, you know, about like how... Like the small, we were debating like where, where else we could host the meet, where else, you know, what cities. And I, I'm, I'm sort of under the argument, you know, that these smaller cities would be better because there's, you're talking about getting the town to support it as a matter of pride sort of for the local community. You know, a lot of people are like, Oh, put it in Philadelphia, put it in New York. I mean, we had a diamond league track and field meet in New York. It had a 5,000 seat stadium and they couldn't even fill it every year. So I, do you think that the smaller sort of cities would be a better host? You know, like, I mean, obviously Des Moines wasn't amazing, but cities like that, maybe Boise, I guess Austin hadn't, you know, Austin's pretty big though, but Austin doesn't have major league sports. But do you think sort of the quote unquote minor league cities would be a better host for USA just because of the civic pride aspect of?
1: I, I totally agree because I think that's how you get the place packed. It's it's saying, hey, this meet's important to us. We're not just not going to rely on, you know, putting the meat out there and have parents and just track enthusiasts come it's got to be something the whole community gets around and say even if you bid on it a certain city bids on it they got to pretty much say hey we've got this committee of 25 people and we're gonna have a sales team and we're gonna make sure the pride aspect of hosting this meet and this place is full and we're, we're gonna go out and 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 bust it and help you know usa track and field and make sure it's a, a home run so
0: it'd be really hard how do you do a sales team though for like a four-day event because it'd be hard to find skilled people that you know what i'm saying like could usatf hire like let's say midland was given granted the 2021 worlds could, could they borrow your salespeople for a few months i don't know how that would work but you know what i'm saying like it's Hard to find temporary employees that could sell. I mean, USATF has a national office, but they they're not tied into the local community.
1: If I was doing it, I would um have a meeting with a convention and visitors bureau and get some you know twenty key business leaders and say, hey, we want to host this event. You know, are not just going to give it to any city, and then. You know, even the Convention and Visitor Bureau, they have salespeople that that's their job. But if you can get some key members of the community to dedicate some of those employees, I mean, it doesn't you don't have to be, you know, really skilled and selling track and field. You just want to say, hey, we're doing this big event. It's a fun event, track and field. It's some of the best runners around the country. And you go sell blocks of tickets. And in our case, sometimes we'll sell 10,000 general mission tickets, knowing that, you know, 2,500 are going to come, but at least you've sold them to a corporation to where they're buying blocks of tickets and just to guarantee a sellout. So I, I think there's a way to put together a local team just to say, Hey, we got a nice sporting event coming to town. And, and, um, you know, sometimes you get a little bit in trouble if you sell too many vouchers and there's not enough seats, but in our case, You know, for some of the games, we just make them good for four days and if we sell out we sell out and then you come back the next day if it's the first game sold out so i i do think um if if i was usa track and field i would definitely want the local community to to play a part to um and you think they'd want to for the pride standpoint robert so that just some combination of busting it on the streets locally and um you know and not not everybody's going to use that voucher that ticket voucher but something to try
2: where, where do you see stars factoring into this? Because track and field, there aren't really many brand names in the sport. I guess Alison Felix is fairly popular. Noah Lyles is sort of on the rise. But do, do they matter at all in terms of drawing people to this, this meet when you're a sport that's not as popular as track and field? Or is it all just about packaging it as an event?
1: Yeah, I think packaging is the big thing. And, I mean, if there's two or three people you can use in marketing or there's a couple former big track and field stars that, that are retired that you could use for promotional purpose for autograph signing or whatever, um, you know, for us, you know, it's, it comes down to these, are, these will be Major League Baseball players. And in some cases, we even get a player on rehab, and it's a pretty big name. But it's still about packaging and telling people this is a good event. There's a lot of things happening around the event. I thought it was kind of cool. Toyota kind of had a little booth. I mean, the souvenir shop was good, the food trucks, I mean, all that stuff in that little section across from the stadium, I thought added a lot of atmosphere that we spent some time over there. So those are the types of things that I think can be expanded and and maybe there's some more things you can do, but it is, I do think it's about packaging and entertainment and then, you know, promote some of the biggest stars if you have a few and bring back a few of the former stars.
0: So maybe, maybe you've already answered this question because you talked a lot about getting with the convention or bureau, but one of the questions I wanted to ask you was like, if we upped your salary to seven figures like USATF CEO makes over a million dollars a year and put you in charge of it, what would be the first thing that you would do?
1: Yeah, I would make sure um, if we're going to host this event and we're bringing it into our city, I'd want to make sure our city is shown in a good light. So I just put together a team um, through the chamber and through my top 10 or 20 business leaders that say, I need your help on this. Do you have a few people that can help? We want to pack this. We want to do something to help promote track and field. You know, I wouldn't want to host it, or I wouldn't want to bring it to a city unless I know there was a partnership from both ends. And, um, and again, I, I, I think they, they did a a great job. I, I guess I didn't know really what to expect, but, um, I don't know how many times I commented to my oldest daughter that said, Hey, there's a lot of people here. And, um, you know, so I, I think obviously it can be bigger, but, um, I left with a good impression. Yeah. Well, that's, that's
2: interesting. Like, I'm glad you enjoyed the meet as well. Um, but I'm curious, like, is there anything that stood out to you? Like while you were watching the meet in Des Moines? that, oh, man, this really needs to be done better, or, oh, I wouldn't have done it this way, or anything like that? I'll have to think
1: about that. I mean, I, I, I was kind of... Um You know, when they did some introductions for the finals coming through the the smoke and the big introductions, that was something that I didn't expect. I thought that was pretty cool. I I mean, I thought um, the fact that it was easy to get in, um, I did my tickets online and I could go to any one of those locations, I think was the flash sheets, and they just swiped my credit card and went right through. I mean, there's so many things were were done well. And, you know, I, I know it had a little bit of rain there on that one day, but I just think, uh, you know, whether it's something to get people to stay till the end, maybe a fireworks show or some of the time that you have a little bit, you know, around the race that there's something going on with an Olympian signing autographs in the concourse or maybe there's some other things you can do with some of the local kids maybe there's you know a couple races you could do with you know your your local kids to to get them involved to say hey you can get out on the track and we have a little bit of break here and and uh run a few races but i mean again um you know i know it's it's somewhat tough because you rely on a lot of parents and some of the families um to come since we're coming from all over but um yeah i i just think there's just a lot of little things a lot of things they're already doing just building on those
0: you're making me feel like an old jaded track fan i thought you were going to be much more negative when we had you on so it's good to hear that you know as a marketing executive yourself you're you're fairly complimentary of them let's turn a little bit just to i think we've done enough about the business side what's it been like as a father i mean i'm a new father my son's only a year and a half but oh wow you're a big sports family big sports got you work in professional sports. Your family's been very athletic. I mean, your daughter was on a national championship Division two basketball team, but how exciting has it been to watch Bryce this year? And just, I mean, he, you know, he was a pretty good college runner. He's just been, you know, had like a dream season this year.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's just, um, you know, we're all so busy. I mean, I'm doing the baseball thing here and, um, I know Bryce has been pretty determined, um, you know, what he's doing day in and day out. And it just seemed like his goal was to go to Kansas and, you know, get a couple points for the team and then maybe compete in the Big 12 race. And, I mean, he found his spot, I mean, in the 800. I mean, he's a, he's a good miler and he's a good 400. I always said that if, if you get, if you get um, a little competition in the 400, 800, and the mile, he would do very well because a lot of 400 guys can't do the mile, and um, he can do both. He's on the 4x4 team at Kansas and then ran the mile a few times. But, you know, it's it's just been amazing kind of a watch him because we didn't go in with a lot of expectations other than we knew Bryce was going to get out there and work hard, and he has a really big competitive spirit you know he just doesn't he he runs every race and he he really wants to win and you know he just has fun doing it i mean, I'm kind of amazed on how he's always smiling. I think I've only seen him bend over once after a race, thinking that he's about ready to fall over on the track, and I'm just saying you know how does he do that but and yeah, we're we're just proud of him, i mean i he's given had some god given talents and he he's it's his job to go out and Make sure he um, uses those for the good. So, and he's done that and he's, he's been pretty determined early on. He was joking at home one day about before he went to college and say, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to run in the Olympics. And we said, Okay, well, Bryce, that's a, that's a pretty good goal. And, and so and now he's, we're kind of thinking twice that he had the confidence all along and, and um, it's not he doesn't really have an e- ego in our opinion he just has confidence
0: you know he just went pro early was that did that surprise you did you even know that track athletes could go pro early and were you involved sort of in v- advising that how do you decide you know as a family I mean ultimately I guess it's his decision but ha- like what are the pros and cons and how, how difficult of a decision was that
1: yeah I mean we thought he's probably going to go back to Kansas. We we didn't really think about it. We didn't know what level he would get to. I mean, a lot of guys went pro after there's right after the NCAAs and he was going to kind of leave the options open. But um to tell you the truth, I I didn't know. I mean, I knew people could go pro. I didn't know what that meant and you know, we learned about the Diamond League and, and got a lot of advice from his coaches, but um, you know he his main thing and his decision making on this is, as he kept getting to a different level is that he always wants. More competition, and you know it's just the money he was um in the semis and he got put in brazier's heat. he goes, great, I'm in brazier's seat i I get it run against somebody fast and so he doesn't want easy heats. he wants to run against the best and I think that's kind of where he made his decision of um you know going to the next level and running against i I think he thinks that he can run faster if he's got people to chase and um so we'll see.
2: I, I love the attitude, and obviously, I mean, the USA right now is one of the best countries. I would say basically, the US and Kenya are the two best in the 800 meters right now. Between, you know, Brazier has been on fire this year, and Clayton Murphy was an Olympics medalist at the last Olympics. So if you can make that team, uh, you're doing something right. Has he has he decided on an agent or a shoe company or anything like that?
1: Yeah, he's um he's in that process right now. It's been a little difficult because he doesn't have a. Sh- a shoe um, company, but um, he's working on it, and I think he's finalizing his deal with his agent. But um, it's h- tough now because he's in um, Lima right now, getting ready to run this week So um, for the Pan Am games. him and um, Brazier over there, I guess, on the USA team.
0: Since we're talking about shoe contracts, do, do minor league baseball players have shoe contracts, or how does that work? <laughs>
1: I really don't know because the Oakland A's deal with the players, but I know gloves and some bats that they get deals with, and I'm not sure about shoes.
2: Yeah, well, I forgot about, you know, we have the Pan Am games this week. We, uh, you know, it's not it's not the biggest event, but it's probably the biggest event actually that's going on this week since the Dime League's on hiatus. That 800 actually should be, I mean, I would expect the U.S. to go 1-2. Maybe Ryan Sanchez from Puerto Rico might be running. He's been doing pretty well, but you know that's a very strong squad usually they don't send you know the very best athletes but brazier and murphy brazier and uh bryce that's got to be one of the strongest squads we're sending in any event
1: bryce's pr is 144 but i there's a couple of puerto rico guys that are ran 144 and um i'm not sure about canada i don't know is is um what's the runner mcbride or something yeah brandon mcbride
2: yeah if he's running he's great
1: but um, I think I looked it up on just the rankings and I think that um, there are five six guys that can run right around Bryce's time and I think Brazier might have one of the best times and that I, I saw the Bryce had sent me over the I think there's 14,800 guys running
2: that'll well, be that's an event to watch now if we got you know, the Puerto Ricans and the Americans and if Brandon McBride's running, I'd have to double check that. That that actually would be one of the best events of the whole game. So now I'm excited for it.
1: Yeah, and then there's Marcus Arope from Mississippi State on Canada. He's there. He he beat Bryce outdoors last year. Um so he's a he's a great runner even though um didn't work out for him in NCAAs this year.
0: Well Money, it's been great having you on. I think I'm all out of questions, John. Do you have any
2: no, I, I think uh, we really appreciate the time, Monty. And, you know, uh, thanks for, you know, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. And obviously, congrats on Bry- to Bryce on all his success this year and hopefully a successful professional career to come.
1: All right. Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate it. Robert, have a great day. All right. Thank you.
2: Bye. Yep.
0: Bye.
3: Okay. Robert, John, what was your favorite part of the podcast? One's clear to me what I like the best about it. Excuse me, of the interview with Monty. Okay, a lot of silence. I thought the part was really cool when he sort of, you know, just a little insight into his son when he said, like, Monty was like, oh, sweet, man, I'm in Donovan Brazier's heat. Like, I get to go against the best. I think that just says a lot about the kid and his mentality and, you know, where he wants to be as an athlete. And I think it's also probably maybe one reason why he's done so well this year. He's just not afraid of anything. It's like some guys, I think each level they get up, they're sort of intimidated or like, oh, my God, I don't want – study's like wow I get to run with the best it's like an opportunity to excel to test yourself so that was my favorite part
2: yeah I did like that as well because especially he had that big win streak he was riding you would think it was you know he'd have to face Brazier in the final anyway but you would think he'd want to preserve it through the semis so no that was cool and he'll get to face him in in Lima this week and again at the world championships if they both you know advance out of their heats so I agree. and That's the attitude I would love to see among uh, top-level athletes. My favorite
0: part was when he suggested that they – he didn't quite state this, but he kind of implied it. We should start like a mini decathlon and call it a triathlon. Oh, triathlon. Get it, guys? And it's the 4 800, 800 1500 You score the events separately. Bryce Hoppel would be your world champion. Actually, I think someone like um, Brazier would probably be your world champion.
2: That would be a great event for Brazier, actually. Or manual career, maybe. I mean, any any elite 800 runner is probably going to be pretty good at that. I wouldn't say just just topple Abrasure.
0: Maybe if we don't do the sub eight, $100,000 Evan Jager, Jager challenge, we do the 400, 800, 1500 meter challenge for the middle distance runners. Time trial, we do it over one day. You can run the events in any order that you want. Genius idea.
2: Yeah. Sounds like an, an, another interesting, half baked idea for our trap meet that, you know, hopefully will happen someday.
3: We did not do deleted thread of the week. I see one here. Dear Siblings Johnson, please stop using gendered language. And I heard something from the, I think it's called the Democratic Socialist Conference. So we we need to start the podcast. Weldon Johnson, he, him. But I'm not sure how not to use gendered language when referring to other people. But obviously we will be on that next week. We'll have that corrected. And that was D-R-D-E-E-R, so it's an inside joke. I assumed it was a troll, so I can see the person deleting that thread. But, clearly, guys, that's enough to talk about. I mean, no action, and we're...
0: Whoa, Robert? Well, it's amazing. We thought we were, were we coming in, as we started this podcast, we'd have nothing to talk about. And we've gone over an hour and a half, so just shows you how entertaining we are.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody, if you're still listening right now... Open up the Apple podcast, click the five-star button, give us a rating, and maybe share with your friends. And also go to let'srun.com slash shoes. You can find tremendous deals on shoes and great reviews on shoes if you're looking for a new pair of shoes. But I personally bought a pair of shoes on there myself this week. But until next week, Weldon Johnson signing off. Thank you, John. Thank you, Robert.